Welcome to the 11th episode of Everest Stages Go to Masters podcast where we interview the GTM leaders from today's most dynamic companies. Their unique insights, hard-earned lessons and innovative visions are the stories that we bring to you every week. I'm your host Venkat, head of RevOps at Everest Stage and we are pleased to have Saket with us today. Hey Saket, so happy to have you here with us uh, on the Go to Masters podcast. Uh, some of our uh, older speakers, I know maybe earlier speakers, we have had a certain uh, you know pattern of revops and operations. Uh, with you, we are also you know exploring the consulting and strategy side of you know what we call as the operations part. So uh, so happy to have you here, and we wanted to basically engage with you to understand a little more in depth about what you do and also your thoughts on GTM strategy, sales planning and stuff like that. A brief about me, I manage operations uh, RevOps at Everstage. I'm director of RevOps at Everstage and I've been with the company for the past two years. Great. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to be on the show. Cool. So, uh, Sakit, I, I, you know, I, I've seen the career path of you, right? So you have started as a consultant and then you slowly moved into the tech side and now, you know, you are into GTM strategy and planning. With your experience, uh, how, you know, uh, what is basically uh, in your mind, what is the big umbrella statement of GTM strategy? And within that, what are those subheadings or subdivisions that you categorize GTM strategy to contain? Sure. In my mind, GTM strategy is really boils down to how do you, as a company, how do you get your offerings out in the market in the most cost effective and profitable way? And then how do you scale that? Now, what this includes is really looking both from an outside-in standpoint as well as an inside-out. So outside-in, what's the market landscape? What are the competitive dynamics in different geos? Um, How am I going to message and position my offering to my end customers? How am I going to drive value and adoption? What's the time to value for my customers? And then really looking at these, the outside in and the inside out to then inform what investment decisions do I need to make for my GTM to come to life and be executed? So that's kind of broad strokes definition in my mind. Okay. And now specific to organization, if you want to look at it, then you would have then, you know, the uh, review of, uh, last year's performance, then this year's planning, and then you know monitoring the plans, and then review again. So that would be a typical cycle of you know the whole GTM strategy, I would assume, right? Correct. Yeah, I mean, you want to look what has worked for you, the things that have worked. You want to scale that. What's not working, or it's the cost of sale is too high. You want to figure out how do you improve, how do you make it more efficient, and what are the right routes to market you want to take to really scale that go-to-market engine. Interesting. So considering the market scenario at the end of 2023, right, and tech world is in a flux, uh, what are your focus areas when you look at 2024 and when you start planning for 2024? Look, you know, we've seen a lot of changes in the market over the years. We first saw it when COVID first hit, and now we're seeing it with the SaaS crash, layoffs, and general slowing of growth. You know, industry multiples have compressed back to pre-pandemic levels. Free cash flow and EBITDA has become even more important for companies as they're focusing more on profitable growth and not growth at all costs. I mean, from my perspective, companies must focus on what I call durable growth. And that's achieved through 
net revenue retention. So focusing on your existing customer base and you know, really striking that balance between controlling your cost of sale, but also continuing to grow with your existing customers, driving more value. Um, I see a lot of companies cutting investments in functions like customer success. In my mind, I believe this is even more important now because customers are struggling as well, and they will notice who is there for them once the recovery happens. And so the ultimate goal, I think, is to go beyond just adoption of use cases, but to show progress against key metrics and showcase that you know, you're able to drive outcomes for your existing customers and, and really focus on uh, improving your net, re net dollar retention or net revenue retention. Yeah, so specific to GTM planning, right? Uh, how do you bring different stakeholders that are involved in planning to the table and how do you bring consensus uh, between the uh, different teams, right? Uh, because I, I understand, you know, there is a, a lot of, uh, you know, planning involved with respect to headcounts, quota management, quota setting, uh, looking backwards at what happened, churn and so on and so forth. And then also, you know, looking at setting targets, uh, across the board in GTM marketing, sales, and you know, uh, custom success as well. So, how do you bring about consensus from, say, uh, a marketer, a salesperson, uh, customer success, even product to to some extent, right? So, how do you bring about this coordination and uh, you know, uh, compliance to a certain plan? Yeah, look, I think it starts with recognizing that there is a process to this, and there are various stakeholders involved in driving towards alignment. You know, fundamentally, the GTM planning function starts anywhere from uh, 6, 12, even 18 months out. And what I would suggest is starting early, like in Q1 or Q2 at the latest, start with having a well-documented go-to-market strategy. If it's not documented, it doesn't exist. So write that down. And then from the go-to-market strategy, you get into your things like your revenue capacity planning, which includes things like, you know, how do you want to segment your customers? Then once you do that, how do you want to engage them? What's your marketing strategy? What's your TAM, SAM, SOM? And from there, you go into building territories and your comp and, and quota, like, uh, like you mentioned. And then what downstream impacts is your sales capacity plan going to have on your customer success and professional services organization? So, you know, for example, let's talk about capacity planning, which really that's that's a process. And what you need to do is organize a set of diverse stakeholders, whether it's sales leaders, marketing leaders, finance leaders, all of them have different interests. And you want to get them and have a conversation around how are we going to do what we need, how are we going to get to where we need to get from our target numbers? What investments do we need? What hiring plan do we need to make? How are we going to enable our sales force? You want to identify the delta between, you know, your top-down model, which comes from the board, and then your bottoms-up model that you've 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 built. And you know, you don't want to leave product team out of this process either, because you want to hold your product team accountable. If product has made a plan to release a particular feature in Q3 and your sales team is counting on that, you want to make sure that the um, product team is held accountable. So, you know, by getting all these stakeholders together and having a conversation, identifying the deltas, documenting the assumptions, uh, that's really how you drive alignment with 
the various stakeholders uh, in in your planning process. And then you got to keep measuring and making sure you're staying on track. Interesting. And also, you know, I've seen that you have a great depth of exposure with channels and, uh, you know, marketplaces. Uh, I, I I understand that the planning for marketplaces or channels, which are like non-linear uh, growth engines, is a little tricky and it's not as straightforward as it sounds. It's not like, hey, you up, set up certain parameters for the sales team, but then marketplaces and channels, they behave a little differently. Uh, how do you look at marketplaces and channels and how do you plan for say target setting or even hiring or headcounts and all those things? Like, is that a little different or is it the same in your opinion? No, I look, I think that's a really interesting question. Uh, marketplaces is an area that, um, you know, continues to grow rapidly. If you look and see what the analysts like Forrester, et cetera, are saying, you know, they, they predict that spend on cloud marketplaces is going to reach north of 40 billion by 2025. This is like an 80% year over year growth. Bulk of this is being driven by the three hyperscalers, but you know, there's 20 plus marketplaces out there. And a lot of the marketplace buying happens in SaaS applications that are bought outside of IT. Within IT, you know, as you look at infrastructure, then there are many different layers. You might have cloud storage, you might have analytics, you might have security, and now even Gen AI. There's different layers in the stack and there's different um, pieces that come together. And the biggest thing driving the marketplaces is that you know you have customers that have committed spend with these hyperscalers and they want to burn down these commits. And, and therefore, every vendor is trying to be part of those uh, you know, part of that uh, conversation and offer their um, <clears throat> products on the marketplace. Right. You know, to your question, um, how do you think about marketplace? I mean, I see really there are three different types of motions in uh, from a vendor. You know, first is you've got companies that are having more than half of their ARR coming from marketplaces. So they're really doubling down. These are guys like, you know, for example, Cloudflare and uh, companies like that. Yeah. Most of the vendors are in the spot of 10%, maybe 20% of their ARR coming from marketplaces. So they're trying to use marketplaces to achieve scale. And then the third bucket is you've got opportunistic vendors who have less than 5% of their spend of the ARR coming through marketplaces. And they're just using it as a lead generation um, mechanism. So, you know, the way I have seen companies be successful in the world of marketplaces is, um, you know, you've got to, you've got to really start small, pick a few use cases, pick a few deals from your pipeline, identify the friendly sellers that you have in the hyperscaler world and, and really you know partner with them but also ensure that you have alignment with your head of sales um secondly define some kpis and metrics that you know you can track like how are, are you is your win rate improving is your time to close improving on marketplace deals you want to measure that to show that this motion is actually working for you and then you know um look in Keep looking in your pipeline for those good candidates that are marketplace. And initially, you want to provide white glove service for your um, <clears throat> for those transactions where you've 
you're choosing to use the marketplace. So you want to show that this motion is effective. So I think the part of your question is, is the motion different? It is slightly different when you look at a marketplace transaction versus a, um, you know, selling through a, a, a direct seller. No, uh, yeah, that is, that is actually the, uh, you know, the part that is different. Uh, but what I was actually alluding to was in terms of planning itself, I think there's a small, because of the way marketplace functions, which you have explained right now, I think when you sit down to plan for say 2024, the market planning planning will not uh, be so typical of the other uh, sales planning motions, right? You would have to factor in a few other things apart from just playing last year's numbers, you know, looking at internal factors and see what uh, plan for headcounts and stuff like that. It may not follow the same set of parameters. You would have to think a little differently about say a channels engine or say a marketplace engine in terms of your revenue plan you're at your attainment and stuff like that. So that was also like an extension to your description. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it also marketplaces in specific, it depends on, you know, how much, how much investment are you, are you seeing, um, are you seeing an uptick? Is that something you want to continue investing in? Sometimes it takes time for results to pay off. So yeah, in the planning cycle, you do want to look at that. Nice. Cool. So uh, just to, uh, you know, to round out the marketplace discussion, I also wanted to take your thoughts on like, say, like Everstage is a, you know, we are just a, a startup. We have a series around and we are just coming up. But uh, in your mind, how do companies uh, leverage marketplaces, uh, right? Uh, when does it become imperative for us to maybe create a marketplace or be part of another marketplace? Like, how do you look at companies in different stages of growth uh, using the marketplace, either being part of it or creating a marketplace, if the product warrants it. Not every uh, you know product had, needs to have a marketplace, right? So, but just your uh, overall thought on the the marketplace itself. Yeah, I mean, look, I think it really depends on, uh, like you said, the stage of the company, who the target audience is. It is it more of a. Um, is it more of a B2C? Is it more of a self-serve type of a small um, small ACV type of a product? Or is it more like a uh, enterprise software that requires a buying center and the sales cycle is longer? So it, it really depends. You know, I think that now if you look at, um, you know, like I mentioned that the hyperscalers are just three different marketplaces, but you also have within the within the world of distribution, you see... Um, guys like Ingram and Tech Data, they have their own marketplaces. And and if your if your product is more of a uh, typical two tier channel type of an offering sold by VARs and resellers, you may want to look at marketplaces offered by the distribution side of things and and figure out how to play into that. Um, you know, one another piece I see some vendors offering to be part of an ecosystem. Mm. So like I mentioned, you know, there might be a uh, a security vendor that plugs in with an analytics vendor and you can you can buy a combined offering through the marketplace. So that's another um avenue to explore. You know, how do you take your product and make it part of a larger ecosystem and offer it on the marketplace? Yeah. This also specifically ties into the GSI context, right? Like uh, the GSIs of the world are good places for some of the smaller companies to explore partnering with and be part of their solution bundles and 
stuff like that absolutely so what are your final thoughts on uh, you know setting up the sales process for for gtm motion uh, saket that that seems to be the place where you know uh, things break or get made so what are your broad thoughts on you know generally setting up the sales process for the gtm teams sure um you know i think before we answer that question let's let me clarify and in my mind what we mean by a sales process um so sales process really entails the specific steps employed by your sales team to take an opportunity and and get it closed one now this is different from a sales methodology which is the philosophy that your company employs to grow revenue so whether that's uh, you know medic or medpick or any of those sales methodologies now it may be fairly obvious but there is no one single approach to building repeatable and scalable sales processes right it depends on at least two factors um i think the first one is the stage and maturity level of your company you know like you said uh, venkat if it's a series a uh, startup scale up or grown up and the second thing is it depends on the acv of your average deal and the number of deals that you do in a year which then in turn uh results in the different go to market motions that you're using whether it's plg or it's low touch medium touch high touch so it really depends now to be a little more specific where i've seen success in building repeatable and scalable sales processes is when companies invest in at least five steps you know number 1 it starts with really having that foundation of data so you want to be able to collect and analyze data so you can identify uh where you are feeling uh where you're falling short and what are the opportunities for greatest impact so having that foundation of data is number 1 um uh, number 2 is really being able to do a diagnostic and really figure out what's the root cause behind undesirable metrics and then identifying the potential solutions so being able to do the diagnostics because you want to you want to identify what are the successful tactics implemented by your top sales performers um number 3 is you really need to design test and iterate so prototype the sales process uh with a small set of sellers and then keep iterating on it until you find that sweet spot and once you do that then you got to design enablement around it so you can scale it to your entire sales force uh keep training your sales force making sure that you know you're educating them on your new sales process and lastly training is not enough you have to ensure that there's reinforcement because behavior change is hard and uh you know like i said training is not enough you have to engage your frontline sales managers to ensure that they're coaching your reps and they're able to uh integrate the new sales process i mean at the end of the day our goal here is you want to have more consistency among your sellers you don't want to just have 20% of your sellers achieving massive overachievement you want really that middle of the pack to be doing well and that's in my mind the fundamental of having a good sales process yes iterative process we are actually uh, setting up some of those processes here at ever stage very early we are just starting off with that uh 
thank you so much for your time uh, where can uh, our listeners find you saket the usual channels uh linkedin they can reach out to me on email and i'm happy to have conversations on gtm cool uh, so it was a fun discussion uh, with you saket uh, i i personally you know found a lot of insights because you know you have set up a large organization so as as a company that's starting out i also want to you know set up scalable processes rather than go back and keep looking at some process as and when things change it's always good to have something that's set up for scale and then you know work with the smaller issues within that uh, but it was delightful to have a chat with you on planning and processes and also marketplaces which is a pet project for me because i come from that world in the previous experience thank you so much saket for joining us thank you for having me i enjoyed the conversation as well and that brings us to the end of this insightful episode of go to masters a big thank you to saket for sharing his experiences and valuable insights we covered a lot of ground today ranging from gdm strategy and planning to marketplaces and sales processes remember you can tune in every week to learn more from game changers driving hyper growth companies across the globe go to masters is brought to you by everstage your trusted partner for transforming the way businesses handle sales compensation i'm your host venkat from everstage signing off we'll see you in our next episode until then goodbye for now